This morning we're continuing in Philippians chapter 1 as we've been working our way through this wonderful prayer of the Apostle Paul. You can see in your bulletin the title of this sermon here is Prayer for Spiritual Growth, Part 2. We began it last week and we come to Part 2 now here this morning. And so I would encourage you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. One of my favorite herbs to eat is cilantro. I love Mexican food. Love it. Growing up in California, this became obviously one of my favorite foods as they put cilantro on everything. Right now, Sarah has some cilantro growing in a pot out on our back deck. And I noticed the other morning there were these little leaves that were sprouting up there in her pot. And I thought to myself, I can't wait until the day that I get to enjoy that cilantro on some good Mexican food. But until that day comes, when it is fully mature a fully mature herb ready to be eaten there are some things that need to happen with that plant right obviously what needs to happen with it it needs to grow it must grow and that's paul's prayer for the philippian believers as we continue to look at this prayer in philippians chapter 1 and Specifically in verses 9 through 11, he's praying for their growth as believers until they reach maturity, until they reach perfection. That's his prayer for them. If you remember from last week, Paul began by praying for their spiritual growth of the Philippian believers and specifically that they would be those who are growing in love, that they would grow in love. His desire for them was to grow in love, as we see in verse 9, where he says this, And this, I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. You see, Paul knows that one day these believers are going to be perfect, completely righteous, mature, glorified. In fact, if you remember back up in in verse 6, notice what Paul says there. For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul doesn't say you will be perfect one day, so just live however you want to until then. No, his prayer for the Philippian believers is that they would grow. Yes, you are going to be made perfect one day, but until that day comes, you must grow. That's his prayer for them. Which we will see even our text this morning as Paul continues to look forward to the day of Christ where he knows that the Philippian believers will be perfected. In fact, look at the end of verse 10. Notice what he says there. In order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Looking forward, looking ahead until that day. The day of Christ. 
The Apostle John refers to this day in 1 John 3, 2, where he says this, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him. Because we will see Him just as He is. We will be like Christ. Perfect. Glorified. But we haven't arrived yet. We're not there yet. And so until that day comes, what God desires for us, as is shown in Paul's prayer, is that we will be those who are growing in Christ's likeness. Last week we looked at the first area of spiritual growth, being growth in love. Growth in love. Just as Paul desires for the Philippian believers to grow in love, God desires for us to grow in love as well. That's God's desire for us. This here is is Paul's prayer for the Philippian believers. And this morning we're going to continue to look at Paul's prayer for these believers and we're going to look at three more areas of spiritual growth that God desires for us to grow in. But before we look at those, let me read our passage for us. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. Follow along as I read, beginning in verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. As Paul prays for growth and love there in verse 9, there's a second area of spiritual growth that he prays for, and that is growth in discernment. Growth in discernment. The second area of spiritual growth that Paul desires for the Philippian believers to grow in is to grow in discernment. And specifically, discernment that leads to excellence. Notice what he says there in verse 10. So that you may approve the things that are excellent. Now, if you remember from last week, we talked about discernment. We talked about discernment being one of the riverbanks in which true love flows. True biblical love has guidelines. Or riverbanks. And those two banks are real knowledge and all discernment, as we see there at the end of verse 9. Real knowledge and all discernment. And we define discernment as the application of theology. Discernment is the application of theology. Theology being the real knowledge, the knowledge that you and I gain. But it doesn't just stop with knowledge. We must then put that knowledge into action. We must apply the knowledge that we gain. And that's where discernment comes in. Discernment is the application of that theology that you and I learn. And we see here in verse 10 where Paul continues to draw out this discernment that he spoke about there at the end of verse 9. And what he does here is he gives a purpose statement of the love that he spoke about in verse 9. And what Paul is saying here is this. The reason why the Philippian believers should abound in love 
in real knowledge and all discernment is so that they can discern what is best. So that they can discern what is best. This is sequential in Paul's prayer. That as you grow in love, in real knowledge and all discernment, you will also become discerning regarding what is best. You will grow in your discernment. You see, love always seeks what is best, right? True love always seeks what is best. But what is best is not always obvious to people. That's where discernment comes in. In fact, notice there in verse 10 that word approve. Approve. Approve there in the Greek means to put to the test or to examine. To put to the test or to examine. But it also means to give approval of something after it has been examined or tested. This, u- this word here was used in, in testing gold medals or money in the ancient day. And this test was done to examine the gold or the money to prove that it was genuine. Is that genuine? Well, let's put it to the test to see whether it's genuine or not. They would put the gold or the money to the test and then they would approve it after recognizing that it was actually genuine. And in that process of testing, one would be able to discern not only what is genuine, but also what is best. Which is why Paul says there, so that you may approve, notice, the things that are excellent. So that you may prove, approve the things that are excellent. Another way that you could say this is to decide what is best. Or to discern what is best. You see, as one grows in their love, they should also be growing in their discernment so that they can choose not just a good way, but the best way to express that love. What is the best way? And so here's Paul's flow of thought as he prays for these believers in Philippi. First, he's praying that they would grow and abound in their love for God and His people. So that they would grow in discernment and be able to discern the things that are excellent in God's eyes. We should be able to discern what is best. We as believers should be growing so that we are always discerning what is excellent. We must be discerning believers. We should be those who loves what God loves. Who value what God values. We should be those who are growing in discernment. You see, one of the things that the church overall needs to grow in today is discernment. Discernment. I think this is one of the biggest problems in the church in America today. There is zero discernment in our churches today. There's a lot of non-discerning believers who accept all kinds of things that are not excellent. That are not best. 
And one of the major areas in the church where we see a lack of discernment is in music. In music. Think about the kind of music that's played in churches today. From secular rock to Hillsong to Bethel and elevation music that is not God-honoring and not God-glorifying. Because it's all about self. For example, there's a song that was recently released by Elevation Church called Lion. Let me give you some of the lyrics. Hail, hail, Lion of Judah, let the lion roar. Hail, hail, Lion of Judah, let the lion roar. Roar, 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 roar. I'm not making this up. I wish I was, but I'm not. Prepare the way, prepare the way of the Lord. O valley, be raised up. O mountain, be made low. What does that even mean? What does it mean? And as I was flipping through the radio channels a few days ago, this song was being played on Air One Radio, which, by the way, has the tagline, Worship Now. And so you would think that you could turn on that radio station and you're going to hear what? Worship. I went to one of their blogs. Let me just read to you a portion of a blog that was written on Air One Radio about this song. Here's what it says. Lion begins with a steady piano, providing a bass for Chris Brown's smooth vocals to power the song up. As electric guitars and drums begin to call out towards the lion that is our Lord. Lake's vocals come center stage in the bridge as he signals for valleys to be raised up as mountains be made low. This rocking worship song, I'm just reading this, this rocking worship song provides an anthem to play on repeat when you need to see a little power in your life. So I guess we're supposed to roar like a lion when we need power in our life. That, friends, is not true. And it's not true worship. It's not. But there are undiscerning churches who are bringing songs in like this one and calling it worship. In fact, there's a a website called CCLI that you can go to and they're going to tell you all of the songs that churches are playing in their churches on a Sunday morning. Throughout the weeks, churches can turn this into CCLI and they collect all of the the data there and they're going to tell you the songs. And this song is one of the top 150 songs that's being played in churches today. And they call it worship. 
church, there is a tremendous lack of discernment in churches today because people don't know how to think. You see, discernment has to do with the mind. Thinking biblically. Paul says in Romans 12 too, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. Of your mind. So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Most people in the world, and even in the church, don't think before they act. They just act on their emotions. And react to whatever is in front of them. If they're singing a song that sounds spiritual and moves them emotionally, then they will accept it as Christian without ever discerning the lyrics and what they're actually singing. Church, we need to use our minds. We must use our minds as our minds are shaped by the Word of God. And think first. Think biblically before we then react. That's what we need to do. How do we think biblically? We must know God's Word. We must be in God's Word. We must be reading God's Word. Study it. Know the way that God thinks. Think the way that God thinks. We have the mind of Christ, Corinthians tells us. It's right here in the Scriptures. We must know it so that we can use our minds and think biblically. And Paul's prayer for the believers in Philippi is that they would grow in discernment and use their mind so that they may approve the things that are excellent. So that they might be able to discern that which is best or value the things that really matter. That's what Paul means by excellent there. He means the things of great value, the things that really matter in life. One commentator says, the kind of discernment uh, this kind of discernment is especially critical in this world that specializes in facades. We live in a world that is good at creating something that has the illusion of value, when in reality that something is actually worthless in the eyes of God. Hence, singing out roar means nothing to God. It's not worship. You can roar all day long. You're not worshiping God. It's an illusion of worship. An illusion of worship, but it's actually false worship. It might sound spiritual or call itself Christian, but it has no value and does nothing to bring glory and praise to God. It's a facade for worship. It's a facade for worship that is not drawing you to think deep and excellent thoughts about God. Church, we need to be discerning people. 
We need to grow in our discernment. And just because something calls itself Christian doesn't automatically make it Christian. And doesn't automatically make it the best or of great value. There are a lot of Christian books that are out there that are not the best books to be reading. In fact, they're not excellent. We need to to test things. We must test it, examine it, and see if it is really excellent. And if it is really the best thing, the thing that God approves of, then we need to grab onto it, hold onto it, and don't let it go. We need to examine things, both spiritually and physically, as there are even physical things in life that can draw our attention away from Christ, right? We need to think about those things as well. And then the things that do really matter, the things that are not a facade, but are actually of true spiritual value and that God approves of, we need to hold on to those things. We must be discerning and decide between good and best. Listen, not between evil and good. We should be able to to discern that. But we must be able to discern between good and best. And that's what Paul is praying for here. And we must hold on to those things which are best. Those things that actually really do matter. And so, not only are we to grow in love and to grow in discernment, but there's a third thing that Paul desires for the Philippian believers to grow in, and that is to grow in integrity. To grow in integrity. Notice Paul gives another purpose statement there in verse 10. He says this, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Here's Paul's flow of thought in this prayer. You are to grow in love so that you can pursue excellence by growing in discernment in order that you might be a person of integrity. That's his flow of thought there. You see, as you grow in love and grow in discernment, then you will become a person of integrity. Paul uses two words here when describing this integrity. Notice what he says there. To be sincere and blameless. To be sincere and blameless. That word sincere in the Greek means without hidden motives or pretense. Or to be pure. This meaning has the idea of being totally genuine, without flaws. Completely pure. But there's also another possible meaning for this compound word. In the Greek, it's a compound word composed of two words. The first word there, or sincere, of of this compound word there, the first word is a word that means sunlight. And the second word is the word which means to judge. And so the definition of this word would be to judge or to test something by sunlight. To judge or to test something by sunlight. 
It has the idea of holding something up to the light to test whether or not it is actually pure. Here's the picture behind this word. In ancient times, the big industry of the world was pottery. Pottery. That was the industry. And fine pottery was very fragile and could easily crack in the oven. And an honest dealer would throw the cracked pottery away, but the dishonest dealer would fill the cracks with wax. It would fill those cracks with wax and blend it in. They would color it and blend it in so that it just blends in with the pot, with the clay. And so if you picked up some pottery off of the shelf, you would look at it and it would appear appear on the outside to be pure without any cracks. But if you held the pottery up to the light, the wax would become detectable and you would know that the dealer was a dishonest man. His pottery wasn't pure. And honest dealers would then market their pottery by the caption, listen to this, without wax. The honest man. The honest dealer. That's the picture behind sincere. A person without cracks. A person without wax. A person who is pure. That word sincere here specifically has to do with personal integrity in relationship to God. Our personal integrity in our relationship to God. This is a person who is held up to the light and found to be pure. One who has the word of God open before them and found out to be living by his word. We read this morning in Psalm 119 in verse 1, how blessed are those whose way is blameless who walk in the law of the Lord. That blameless man in Psalm 119 has integrity. They walk according to the truth. There's no hypocrisy found in this person. They're pure. Are they perfect? No. No one's perfect. We understand that. We're all growing. But their life was lived without hypocrisy. They're not a hypocrite. You see, there are people in our churches today who are full of cracks. And they mask it with wax. And that wax is represented by things like this. Church attendance. Christianese. They know how to talk the Christian language. And all kinds of other religious activities. They mask it. They look on the outside like a good Christian, but if they were held up to the light and tested, their life would be full of all kinds of sin and disobedience to Christ. Full of cracks. No integrity. They live a double life that looks good on the outside to other people, but when trials and persecution comes, they'll run because they weren't pure and genuine in the first place. They'll fall apart. 
because her life is full of cracks. James Montgomery Boyce said this, God's love will not flow through a Christian whose life is a sham. Hypocrisy will stop the flow. He goes on and he says this, Fortunately, however, we may also say that God's love will flow through an honest Christian no matter how marred the vessel. God's love will flow through an honest Christian. We understand we're not perfect. But we must not be hypocrites in our relationship with God. Look, we may not be perfect, but if we are honest and people of integrity, God will use us. God will use us. But those whose life is a sham, those who are hypocrites, God knows their heart and they can't hide anything from Him. And so Paul's prayer for the Philippian believers is that they would be pure and grow in personal integrity in their relationship to God. Notice the second word that Paul uses, talking about integrity here in verse 10. He uses the word blameless. Blameless. This has to do with integrity in relationship to other people. This word blameless means not causing to stumble. That you are not causing someone else to stumble. It has the idea of leading another person into sin. That you are living a life of integrity to the extent that you are not leading another person into sin. A believer or an unbeliever. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.32, Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. What he's saying there is don't cause any of them to stumble. Don't lead them into sin. Give no offense to them. Have relational integrity and look out for the best interests of others. Isn't that what true biblical love does? It's what it does. As we grow in our love, we'll grow in our integrity and our concern for others and live a life of integrity. Both in personal integrity in relationship to God and in relational integrity in relationship to our fellow man. Let me just pause right here and emphasize something that is very important. This is not something that happens through self-help programs. This is not something that happens by some kind of behavioral modification program that you can go through that will be then producing this kind of stuff in your life. This is something that the Spirit of God produces in our lives as we continue to surrender our lives over to Christ and walk in the Spirit. And Paul knows this, which is why this is a prayer to God for them. This is Paul's prayer for them. God, may you do this in their lives. May you grow them. May you do this work in them. Paul knows that he must go to God and ask God to do this in their lives as these Philippian believers continue to walk in the Spirit. How long does this go on in the believer's life? This growth? 
that happens, notice what he says at the end of verse 10, until the day of Christ. This growth must happen until the day of Christ, which means this growth is never complete here on earth. Never. Nobody arrives this side of heaven. There's always more growth to be done. Until the day of Christ. Paul knows that perfection will come when our bodies are glorified at Christ's return, which is exactly what he said back up in verse 6, right? For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He is going to perfect it. He will perfect what he began in your life. Paul knows this. He has confidence in that. But until that day comes, there is more growth for us to do. There is more growth to happen in our lives. And as you and I continue to walk in the Spirit, we are going to see this growth happen as God produces this in our lives. And how will it be evidenced in our lives? It will be evidenced by the way that we live. Which leads to our fourth area of growth for believers. We've seen that Paul has prayed for prayer for growth in love, growth in discernment, growth in integrity. And finally, number four, we see his prayer for growth in righteousness. Growth in righteousness or growth in right living. Notice what he says there in verse 11. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul's prayer for them is that they would grow in righteousness. And again, here now is the flow of thought of Paul's prayer. That they would grow in love so that they can pursue excellence by growing in discernment in order that they might be people of integrity and that integrity will then produce righteousness or right living. That's his flow of thought. Growth in love produces discerning excellence, which produces integrity, which produces right living or good works in our lives. Notice at the beginning of verse 11, he says, having been filled. Having been filled. In the Greek, this is a, a perfect passive participle, meaning it is something that has happened to them by God. Something that has happened to them in the past with continuing results. And it looks specifically at the day of Christ, which is what Paul just spoke about at the end of verse 10. And what Paul is getting at here is that God is going to continue to produce this fruit of righteousness in you that he began at your salvation in the past. God is going to continue to do this in your life as you continue to walk in the Spirit. As you continue to surrender your life over to God, as you continue to grow in the knowledge of His Word, God is going to continue to grow you. John MacArthur says it's, it views a completed state or completed condition. It looks at the record of good works produced by God in a life of integrity, a life of excellence, a life of love. And so what Paul is talking about here is the righteousness or the right living or good works that are produced by God in your life. That's his prayer. 
And we should be people who are growing in right living as God is producing this fruit in us. Now, how are we to understand righteousness here? Notice what he says there, the fruit of righteousness. How are we to understand this word righteousness? Well, there are two ways to understand righteousness. Either as legal or as ethical. Either as legal or as ethical. Legal righteousness has to do with a right legal standing before God. That is, we have been declared righteous in a right legal standing before God through faith in Christ alone. When you repented of your sin and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you were declared righteous by God. At the moment of your salvation, you're in a right standing now, legally, in a right relationship with God. And it happened when you put your faith in Him. This is Abraham in Genesis 15.6. Then he believed in the Lord. He believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. This is legal righteousness through faith alone. But there is also biblically ethical righteousness which has to do with our moral behavior. How you and I behave. That right standing before God produces right behavior or good works in our lives. And that's what Paul is referring here to in verse 11 when he says the fruit of righteousness. The fruit of righteousness is the fruit which righteousness produces in us. One commentator says the fruit is not the same as the righteousness. It is the result of righteousness that is in view. Righteousness brings forth a life which is the proper outworking of that righteousness. It's the proper outworking of being declared righteous before God. We then work that righteousness out through right living, through right action. You see, true salvation, listen to this, true salvation is not just a legal declaration by God over us, but it is also the impartation of new life which will show itself in fruit. That's why James says in James 2.17, even so faith, if it has no works, is what? Dead. It's dead. Being by itself. Faith without works is dead. You can't say that you have faith and not produce any fruit in your life. True saving faith is always accompanied by fruit. By good works. Commentator John Kitchen says this, living righteousness is the proof of one's legal righteousness before God. Living righteousness is the proof of one's legal righteousness before God. Which is exactly what Jesus says in Matthew 7 about telling a true prophet from a false prophet. Matthew 7.15, he says this, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. 
And then he says in verse 16, he says, you will know them by their what? Fruits. You'll know them by their fruits. Watch their life. That'll tell you whether they're real or not. True believers will be identified by good fruit, by good works. Just as a good tree produces good fruit, bad trees produce bad fruit. True believers will have good fruit, but false believers or unbelievers will produce bad fruit. Watch their life. And this good fruit, these good works that are produced in us are produced by God, by Him in us. Which is why Paul says in the middle of verse 11, which comes through Jesus Christ. It comes through Him. As we walk according to the Spirit, according to the ways that God has revealed to us in His Word, watch and see how God then works in you and produces good fruit. He'll do that work. It's not something that we can muster up or produce on our own. But as we walk faithfully with God, He will produce this fruit of righteousness in us. And Paul's prayer for these believers is that, is that they would be found on the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that has been produced in their life through Christ. You see, that is what a life of love and a life of discernment leading to excellence and a life of integrity produces. It produces a life that's filled with the fruit of righteousness. It'll be filled with good works. Now, what is the whole purpose of a life lived like this? What is the whole purpose of us growing like this in our spiritual lives? Notice at the end of verse 11, look at what he says there. To the praise and glory of God. It's not so that we can be puffed up and receive praise for ourselves. It's not so that we can look good to the world and have people praise us. It is for the glory and praise of God so that He might receive the glory, so that He might receive the praise. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks this as its very first question. It says this, what is the chief end of man? Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's the chief end of man, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. It's all for His glory. As we grow in our spiritual lives and God produces this fruit in us, it's all for His glory so that He can receive the praise and the glory and honor. Not for us. We're just vessels that are being used by Him so that He can receive the praise. Because He's the only one that deserves the praise. We don't deserve anything. But God deserves all the glory. And this is Paul's message in his prayer for the Philippian believers. Grow in love. Grow in discernment. Grow in integrity. And grow in right living so that God may be glorified and so that all praise may go to Him. Church, listen, this is not just Paul's prayer for the Philippian believers, 
but this is also God's desire for us. This is what God desires for you and I as believers. And this is my prayer for you as well. That we would be a church who are growing in our love, growing in our discernment, growing in our integrity, and growing in our right living so that we might bring praise and glory and honor to Christ. How does this happen? We must continue to walk in the Spirit and live faithfully for our God. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the growth that You do in us. Father, we know what the desire is of Your heart for us. That we would be those who would grow in love through real knowledge and all discernment. That we would grow in discerning the things that are excellent. The things that are of true value. That we would grow in integrity and not live as hypocrites. And that we would grow in good works so that Your name would be exalted in us. Father, we thank You for the love that You have for us. We thank You that You have not left us on our own. That You are with us. And Lord, as we walk in the Spirit, You will continue to produce this in our lives. Father, help us to remain faithful to Your Word. Father, grow us in our discernment. That we would be able to even look around at things that call themselves Christian. And be able to discern things that are true and things that are not. Father, I thank you for the work that you continue to do in our lives through your word. Lord, I pray that you would give us a longing and a, and a hunger for your word. That we would thirst after it. That we would be people of your word. And that as we grow in our knowledge and grow in discernment, that we would then grow in our love for you. Father, I pray that you would help us to do this. We can't do it on our own. We need your Spirit to guide us and to lead us in this. Give us willing hearts that would long for you. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.